You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, in today's climate, there is a lot of controversial topics. I don't particularly love controversy, but today's passage is one of the most controversial topics. It raises some of the most divisive subjects in the Christian church. And when I found out I was doing this passage a few weeks ago, I'm not going to lie, I was not very excited. And just because I want to share all of my anxiety with you this morning, I've created a slideshow of topics that I perceive to be less controversial than this particular topic. These will be up on the screen, and we're going to go pretty quick. (laughs) Number one, Donald Trump. Number two, Joe Biden. Number three, Ron DeSantis. Four, Gavin Newsom. Number five, Kanye West in his latest stunt. Number six, Lizzo, who, uh, who didn't know who she was till the flute thing. I just, I just found out who she was uh, a few days ago. Number seven, or wherever we are, sex. Number eight, sexuality. Number nine, nationalism. Number 10, I love this image, speaking in tongues. <laughs> Number 12, King's Church complaints. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Um, Number 13, every other social issue. Number 14, nuclear bombs. Number 15, Russia. And number 16, maybe the most controversial topic, my dating life, or otherwise not, not so controversial. Predestination, Calvinism, tulip, Arminianism, fate, compatibilism, free will, and a lot of the other things that this passage is going to make us think about this morning are very controversial topics in the Christian church. And at first, as I was presenting this, I knew this was going to be tough because I knew there was going to be a lot of different takes on how to understand this particular passage. Uh, It reminded me of an article I read recently in The Atlantic. The article was called, Why the Past 10 Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. (laughs) Has anyone read this? A couple of you have read this. The author basically says that the Tower of Babel, which was uh, uh, actually we looked at this several weeks ago in our Genesis series, which is uh, also a controversial topic, unfinished series in Genesis. He says that the Tower of Babel is the best metaphor for American life in the last 10 years. He essentially says we're suddenly disoriented, unable to speak to each other, unable to understand each other, unable to recognize the same truth. He essentially says we are like two countries living in the same land with different understandings of the same primary documents like the Constitution, different understandings of history, different understandings of economics. It's very similar with this passage. It's one passage with amazing truths, but in the church, there are some very different perspectives on it, aren't there? Some very different understandings. 
But as a church, as we look closer to this passage this morning, we'll realize that this is not supposed to be a debate or a controversy. Rather, the whole passage is a great blessing. It's a praise of what it means to know God in Jesus Christ. It's worship. In the original Greek, the entire passage is one sentence. It's the second longest sentence in the New Testament, and it's total praise to the God who has saved us. So no matter where you land on some of the particulars this morning, no matter what categories you may be thinking in this morning, the point is God wants to richly show us who He is in Jesus Christ. This morning, He wants us to be invited into the power of the Spirit so we can know more of Jesus this morning, to sing the praises of His great name, our great, omnipotent, mighty God who protects us and loves us and cares for us and died for us. He invites us to know more of Him, to sing the song, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so that's really my big idea for this morning. It's the big idea of this passage this morning as well. It'll be up on the screen, and it's this. Praise God for every blessing in Jesus Christ. Praise God for every blessing in Jesus Christ. Not a cheap blessing like bless your heart. Some of you all from the South... Not a cheap blessing like, oh, I wish you well, but a rock-solid blessedness. Every joy, every benefit our hearts long for, our hearts need, our souls desire, finally and fully met in Jesus Christ. Now, my line's going to be up on the screen as well. It's going to flow from the passage, and we're going to look at it in somewhat of, a, of question form. But it's this. Number one, where does every spiritual blessing come from? We'll see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Why can we have every spiritual blessing? We'll see that in verses 7 through 12. And then finally, number three, how do you know you have every spiritual blessing? How do you know? As we talk about all these spiritual blessings, our great salvation, how do you know? Now, to cut to the chase... The answer is, I'm going to give the answer key here in the, in the front. Num the answer to number one is God the Father. The answer to number two is God the Son. And the answer to number three is God the Holy Spirit. But let's look at the first one. Where does every spiritual blessing come from? And the answer we're going to see this morning is that it comes from the mind of God. Uh, if you would, before we jump in, I'd just like to uh, focus us and, uh, and ask the Lord to give us a special blessing again as we, as we dive in. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for uh, your great word. And as we think about this, many of us are encumbered with uh, resistance to the idea of uh, predestination and fate and determinism. Uh, but Lord, we just ask you to calm our hearts and show us uh, how there is compatibility with 
uh, both knowing you uh, and being known by you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at the first one. From where does every spiritual blessing come from? And we'll see again, the answer is from the mind of God. Verse 3. Blessed be the God, or praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So the passage starts and it lifts our eyes to God. It lifts our eyes in appreciation and worship and praise to the blessed God, to the God who is happy this morning, happy with us if we find ourselves in Christ this morning. Now, notice the blessings here are spiritual, which means it's invisible. Uh, For those of us who know him, we know these kinds of blessings, don't we? Blessings that have changed our lives. Blessings that have produced in us a new identity, benefit before God, empowerment, a sense that we are loved deeply by Him, salvation, appreciation, a new desire. But notice these spiritual blessings come to us because we've been blessed in Christ. Now, this is a phrase I did my uh, second master's degree on. I started a PhD, but... Uh, I guess I wasn't smart enough and uh, fell back into a second master's, but I did my, my second master's thesis on this, and this phrase is underrated. It shows up like 170 times in the New Testament, and it means that when we become a Christian, when we believed in Him, we were put in Him. We were incorporated into Him. We were joined to Him. We were given a new supernatural address. And what that, what that means is that what happened is that everything that is Jesus's became ours. Everything that is His became ours. Christ in us, yes, but us in Christ also. What that means is that when anxious feelings come, you can know that you are not alone. You're in Christ. When you feel weak, you can be strong because you can know you're not alone. You're in Christ. You're in Him. You're incorporated into Him. You're connected to Him. It's metaphysical. That means when you feel tired and exhausted, you can rest and say, Thy will be done because you're in Christ. Because He's hidden your life with Himself and God. And as the Bible says, when He appears, we will also appear in glory. What that means is when you feel guilty, you can repent because God sees you in Christ. And in the end, for all of it, you'll be cleared. You'll be forgiven. All because you're in Christ. Everything He has is yours. He and you and you in Him. God did that for us in our salvation which according to the next verse was in the mind of God before we ever were. Long before there was time, God in His power put us and Christ in His mind. And He determined to make us His own through the work of Christ. Verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. 
that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That is, our knowing God leads us to a holy life. Verse 5 adds, in love He predestined us. And verse 11, about our salvation, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So here we are. (laughs) Here we are. Choose means to select or single out or take out a smaller number from out of a larger. Predestined means to mark out a destiny with a boundary beforehand. The point here is that salvation belongs to the Lord. Before we knew Him, before we ever were, He knew us. He chose us, and He loved us. He saved us. Now, a good question a lot of us are asking, as this light shines on us, a lot of us see a shadow. We say, this sounds like fatalism. Is, are you saying, is this saying that everything is determined? God's destined some for hell, some for heaven, and that's the end of it. Are you saying we're robots? Is this the frozen chosen? What about free will? What do we do with John 3.16? For God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. How do we reconcile all of this? Well, this is a little bit like trying to figure out, is the dress white and gold or is it blue and gold? (laughs) Or is light a particle or is it a wave? Is it a particle or is it a wave? But I think the best example is what happens in Acts chapter 27. Many of you were with us in our Acts series, and this is towards the end of the book. Paul is in a boat with some soldiers and some sailors, and they're in a very, very rough storm. It's, it's been going on for days. It's bad, and everybody is pretty sure they're going to die on this boat somewhere in the Mediterranean. But then in Acts 27, God sends an angel, and the angel says to Paul, Paul, God has determined that no one's going to die in this storm. It's destined. Everyone is going to be saved, the angel says. Well, then Paul, he's excited. He goes and he tells his friends, not so much his friends, maybe his frenemies on the boat. He says, God told me through an angel that we're all destined to live. You're all going to live. We're, going to, we're not going to die in this storm. Now, this is significant because in the Old Testament, if someone says they're a prophet and they lie, they die. You can kill them. The reason is because if God tells you something's going to happen, if He determines that something's going to happen, it'll come true. It'll come to pass. If God says it's destined, it'll be destined. So Paul, here's Paul. He says no one's going to die in this crazy storm. But then just a few moments go by, and a few verses later, it says that some of the sailors on the boat, they get really scared, and they go to the lifeboats. It's a little bit, well, I won't make a Titanic joke, but they, get, they, they run to the lifeboats. And Paul, Paul stops that, and he, and he says something really, really interesting, literally just a few verses after God said it's determined. He says, if you abandon this ship, we're all going to die. So just a few verses earlier, he said, it's absolutely sure we're going to live. God determined it. But then a few, a few verses later, he says, if you don't conduct yourselves in a responsible way, we're all going to die. <laughs> so how can he say that? How can it be that he says it's determined, but if you don't conduct yourselves in a responsible way, we're all going to die. Is it that it's all just determined, or is it up to human actions? Is it 50-50? Is it 80-20? How can he say that? Well, he can say that because 
the Christian understanding of God's relationship to history is very unique. Every other religion either falls into fatalism, meaning determinism, which essentially says everything's fixed, your actions don't matter, or on the other hand, a view that God's really not in charge of the world. It's all open. It's all, it's all up to you. He's not absolutely sovereign. He's not in control of everything. But, but Christianity says that history is completely, it's completely under God's control, and yet our choices matter. It's not 50-50. It's not 80-20. It's 100-100. It's both. In a mysterious way, in an amazing way, all who are destined will freely come to him. And all who freely come to him are destined. Fatalism says our personal faith doesn't matter, but the Bible says our choices matter. We're responsible to our Creator. God holds us responsible for what we're doing. And at the same time, He uses all of our choices. His power bears on them so that everything works according to His exact plan. Everything happens according to His perfect will. Said another way, I'm in Christ today. I'm a Christian today because God chose me. You're a Christian today if you find yourself in Christ today because God determined it. That's a great truth. Own that truth. It creates assurance and confidence. But at the same time, I'm a Christian today. I'm in Christ because I freely chose to follow Him. I freely chose to trust Him. And you're in Christ today if you find yourself in Him this morning because you freely came to Him. You trusted Him. You repented from your sin and you placed your faith in Jesus. It's a great truth and we hold both in tension. The passage continues and we see what God's choice of us in Christ leads to, the spiritual blessing of adoption. Verse 5. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, just a side note saying sons here isn't sexist. It's actually the exact opposite. It's not gender neutral. And praise the Lord for that here. Because back then, only sons could become heirs. Only sons could experience the full blessing of adoption. So saying sons here means that through Jesus Christ, we can all equally come and experience the full blessings of spiritual adoption. Verse 5, In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In other words, our salvation isn't just being saved from something. Our salvation is being saved to something. And what we're saved to is the household of God to a relationship with God as our good Father. And this happened through adoption. We who are in Christ this morning once were spiritual orphans. We were once ignorant, reaching out to just perhaps a theistic understanding of God. But through the grace of God, we've become sons of God and daughters of God through Jesus Christ, which means we know Him not just as a king and a savior, but we know Him as a Father. And knowing Him as Father means three things this morning. Number one, access. It means access. Growing up, I went to a big public school. Some of you know this. And my mom was the principal of that particular school. 
Every summer, my fellow classmates would receive in the mail a randomly generated schedule. It told them to go to these classes with this teacher, with these students. Some of you who went to public school, you remember this. And often with these classes, they would see which students they were with. But for me, because my mom was the principal, I handpicked my schedule. <laughs> I picked my teachers. And every day, my fellow classmates perhaps were late to a class. They got in trouble. But because I had access, I had a stack of pre-signed hall passes. I could go to the principal's office without an appointment. I could sleep in there and I could eat lunch in there if I wanted to. Why? Access. I had access. In an even more amazing way this morning, through knowing God as Father, you have access. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access to the king of it all, the king who cares. Number two, adoption also means security. It means security. Why? Well, if you're an employee and you have an employer, there's a limit of how many times you can screw up before you get canned. You may have a nice boss, but there's going to be a time, perhaps, if you have too many typos, if you come to, late, if you come to, to work late too many times, if you fall asleep on the job, he'll come and say, it's time to take your talents elsewhere. Goodbye. But if you're a child and you have a loving father, how many times will he put up with you? How many times will he work with you through your problems? Forever. Always. You're secure in his love. Not just because he's your king or your boss, but because he's a loving father. In an even more powerful way, this is how God loves us this morning. If you know him in this way, if you're in Christ this morning, you are secure in his love. He'll put up with you. He'll work with you through your problems forever, always, because we're secure in his love, because he's a loving father. And number three, another thing that it means is an inheritance. To be adopted means we have an inheritance. Verse 11 adds, In Him we have obtained an inheritance. Said another way, in our adoption, everything He has becomes ours. We're sons of God through Jesus Christ, the God who owns all the stars, all the planets, all the worlds, all the universes, all the galaxies, everything. He says you are co-heirs to it all. We're part of His family. The meek, Jesus says, shall inherit the earth. All of the blessings chosen in Christ, adopted, they come from the mind of God. They come from the Father of heavenly lights who never changes. But this really leads us to the next point. Why can we have these blessings? Why can we have these blessings? And the answer is that we've been redeemed by the Son. Verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Said another way, how is it that we get really adopted by God? 
or put in Christ by God? The answer is redemption through his blood. Redemption is a word that communicates the idea that someone was once powerless to liberate themselves. It's designated to a captive or to a slave. And that a price was was paid to free them. And of course, what that means is to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus is that in all of our darkness and all of our outsider status, and all of our unholiness, which can make us feel like an imposter around the people of God, in all of it, we've been redeemed. In all of our guilt, in all of our compartmentalized wrongs, in all of our skeletons, in all of it, we've been forgiven this morning through the blood of Jesus Christ. And why? Verse 7, because of the riches of His grace. Because God's character is filled with mercy because he's filled with second chances. He's filled with compassion. He's filled with mercy. And he lavishes that upon us. Like 200,000 tons of water flowing out of Niagara Falls, he lavishes his love and his mercy upon us. The Bible says that all human beings deep down inside, no matter who they are, know they aren't all that they should be. Consciously, Subconsciously, we know we're not all that we should be. We all know we need to be better than we are. We know that, all of us, at some level. And so what we do in the human experience is we try to prove ourselves. We try to cover ourselves. There's the secular ways of doing that. I'm going to be accomplished. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to be powerful. And then there's the moral, moral religious ways of doing that. I'm going to be a great parent. I'm going to be a great husband. I'm going to be a devout person. But what actually happens sometimes is these things start to enslave us. These things start to get a power over us. They say to us, serve me or die. Achieve me or you will have nothing. And you will be nothing. And all of a sudden, if you're not doing well at being powerful you'll get sad. Or if somebody's getting in the way of being accomplished, you'll get angry. Or if there's a threat to you, you'll feel anxious. It's because these things start to have power over us. They're telling us that they can cover us. They can make us prove ourselves. If you're successful, you'll be someone. If you're a good parent, you won't feel any more shame. So perform. Do or die. And now you're trapped. But what the blood of Jesus does is it comes in and says, you have been forgiven. Your deep sin, your deep shame and fear are taken care of. And the love you've been looking for deep down inside, this love that you desire in your soul, you can finally have it by being His. To be redeemed by the blood of Jesus means that the things which enslave us because of our fear and shame, lose their power over us. Why? Because fear and shame are drowned by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because He's brought us back, we now find our deepest value in being known by Him, by being loved by God, and we don't have to try to extract it from something else that can turn us into slaves. We're free, and now we can find our deepest value in Him. Praise God. The passage continues. It talks about how this redemption not only impacts us individually, 
but it's part of a bigger plan, a plan that involves the whole church. We'll look at this for the remainder of our study in Ephesians. We're reminded of our inheritance in verses 11 and 12, but then it really turns to answer our third and final question. How do you know you have every spiritual blessing? How do you know? And the answer is because we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, a seal back then and still today is something that confirmed ownership. It validated the document's authenticity. It guaranteed the quality of a, of a good or a document. The queen, the late Queen Elizabeth's will was sealed and it won't be opened for 90 years. To be sealed then by the, by the promised Holy Spirit here in this verse in verse 13 is a fulfillment of a concept that was promised in the Old Testament a long time ago. You see this in the book of Joel and the book of Ezekiel. What it means is that when we believed the gospel, we received the Spirit, and the Spirit comes into our lives, and His presence in our lives confirms that we are God's and God is ours. His presence, like a seal, validates our authenticity as the redeemed. It guarantees that we are His. His presence, verse 14, is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That means spiritual blessings are not just concepts in our heads, doctrines that we hear. We don't just say, yes, I know salvation is by grace, not good works. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, God chose me. No, the Spirit makes it unimaginably real, endlessly real. All the spiritual blessings that God is our Father, that we've been redeemed, that He has a plan, that we have an inheritance. We say three times in one sentence, praise to His glory, verse 12, verse 14, verse 6, because our hearts have been changed by the gospel, because the Spirit of God has come and made a home in our hearts. He makes the truth come alive. He lights it on fire. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says it like this, most people when they invite God into their lives expect a few changes. He says it's like someone who has a little cottage. You ask the cleaner to come clean the gutters of my cottage, but all of a sudden the cleaner starts knocking down the walls. The point is God's not here just to clean the gutters of your cottage. He's coming into your life to turn your cottage into a castle, as C.S. Lewis famously says. By the power of the Spirit, He is working to turn us into something much greater, more than we could ever imagine, a future glory coming into our lives now. So how do you know if you have every spiritual blessing? How do you know if you've been redeemed and adopted? Well, you don't have to have a dramatic conversion. Most people don't, but everybody who's been a Christian for a long time knows that what comes into your life will revolutionize you. You'll think things you never thought before. You'll feel things you never felt before. You'll have a whole new identity. Because being a Christian isn't just about absorbing different particular doctrines or truths about God 
or a creed about God or being a better person. The goal of being a Christian is to have a real personal daily experience with God by the power of His Spirit. The goal of being a Christian is to know God. And the Spirit of God is the agent by which we experience God and know God. Is He in your life like that? Have you trusted in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the King of Israel and the King of the world like that? Have you trusted Him? Have you believed in Him? As we move to a time of the Lord's Supper, Paul, the writer of this letter, he comes from a Jewish background. And his, his fellow brothers and sisters who were Jewish certainly knew that God was gracious. They had a general conviction that God is gracious and compassionate. But Paul met a kind of grace in God that was beyond anything he could have imagined. It was a kind of grace that was completely lopsided, a grace that accepted him completely as he was, a grace that changed his life, a grace that was given without regard to his worth. Today, if you don't know him, that grace is free for the taking for you if you will grasp it. If you'll turn from your sin and yourself and you'll trust in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you. Trust him today. Believe in him. Turn to him. Know him. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.